Last time we were together in chapter 3, Adam and Eve sinned, and uh, I don't think they quite were, would be able to comprehend all the blowback that would come from listening to the serpent, that dragon of old, eating of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, being kicked out of the garden, and uh, on top of that, death and what that means, and of course, sin. Um, and in essence, they didn't understand it, but the life they had known without sin, they would now have a sinful body, and that's why they saw nakedness that they didn't see before, and the dirtiness of it, sort of, if you would. They saw the, the shock of, of sin, and of course, um, in chapter 4, now they're going to have kids, and they're going to get to see their sin, so to speak, in their kids. So in chapter 4, now Adam knew Eve, his wife. And that is a polite way that we will see throughout the Bible of describing uh, a sexual relationship. And uh, so God is not rude, and, and uh, so he doesn't get vulgar. He just simply says he, he knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I've acquired a man from the Lord. And the name Cain in means to acquire or I've gotten. And it's, and it's talking about in a joyful way. This word's used much through the Bible. And it's usually with joy. Oh, man, this is, this is great. And, and, of course, the whole thing would have been all interesting to observe them. You know, Eve is pregnant. They don't know what that means, really. She's getting bigger and bigger. Maybe they're getting concerned, you know. And then, of course, they can't call the doctor or a midwife. They're the only ones on the planet, right? So Adam's the one who has to be a part of the delivering of this baby. And, of course, I don't think women really understand what it means to the pain they're going to have when they give birth until it's happening. And... Uh, you know, they want to go back in time and undo that. But, uh, but then once the baby's born, there's great joy. And so did Eve. And Eve names a child here. It's interesting as we go through the Bible, sometimes the men name the child. Sometimes the women do. Uh, you know, obviously, I think there's, they're sort of discussing it together and coming up with it. But, but sometimes they are, have an inspired moment, you know, uh, at the birth or shortly after the birth and and they they know hey this is a revelation that I named the child this uh, sometimes it happens to the husband sometimes to the wife but um, here they're, they're just so blessed with this baby boy their firstborn son Cain and she bore again this time his brother Abel now that's sort of Strange because it, it means like vapor or vanity or emptiness or nothing. It's like, man, it's, it's all vain. It's all empty. And I think at this point, they're, they're looking at life further away from the garden and weeds are getting taller <laughs> and the pain of being pregnant and birth is equally as hard on the second child. And, and they're watching things sort of 
be very hard on planet Earth and disintegrate. And, and no matter how hard they try, maybe they lost the crop, you know? They're working so hard and, and uh, then they lose their crop that they were hoping to, to have. I don't know, but she, she, after her second son here, it really impressed on her how all is vanity. Remember that in Romans chapter 8, verse 20 to 23? For the creation was subjected in futility, not willingly. This is when it was back in the garden. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Maybe they're watching animals uh, going extinct or, or they're um, watching the, the trees die. There, maybe there are some fires that destroyed a big forest. They're, they're, they're looking at uh, and they realize they can almost hear it in the very creation, the trees, the animals groaning because sin and pain and suffering and death has come into the world. And in Romans 8, um, 21 says that, that, that there's this bondage that even the creation wants to be delivered from, that glorious liberty for the children of God. And we know that the whole creation groans, labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruit of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption the redemption of our bodies. Big amen on that one? Oh boy, maybe it was that. Maybe she was groaning, uh, feeling so pregnant or, uh, you know, getting older. And, and she's just like, man, life is, is hard. It's vain, it's empty. But going back into chapter four, verse two, now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was the tiller of the ground. So you know, they, they had some sheep and, you know, for clothing and so forth. They didn't eat animals till we get to Genesis 9 after the flood. But, um, you know, these things are happening and the boys are growing up and, and one sort of likes to not garden so much, but likes to, to be with the sheep. And, and, you know, it was Adam and Eve doing it all, but now they got some boys. And, and Cain sort of went towards being a farmer like his dad, uh, Adam. And so they, they ended up sort of distinguishing themselves, one a shepherd and one a farmer. Now, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. So as we go through Genesis, especially the first part, there's just a lot of um, parts of the story by God's design that just the details are to be assumed or to make an assumption and, and not really gone into to explain. For example, when God covered them in sheepskin back after they sinned, I think he probably explained to them about sin and life is in the blood and, and showed them how to sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins and, and to worship God in those sacrifices. And then I think Adam and Eve did it yearly Regularly, I don't know, but they taught their sons that. So they, they understood about the sacrifice of the lamb and the blood sacrifice. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And so they, they now are adults and no doubt married and they have their own families and, and they're now having to take on this role of, of sacrificing and seeking God and worshiping God on their own. And so it says there in verse four, so Abel brought 
of the firstborn, the best, the first part, the best of, the, of that part of his flock and of their fat. So uh, we find out later in the law that God loves the fat. <laughs> and uh, that's a special part of the sacrifice is giving God all of the fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? So it's nothing, it's nothing that I'm against you, and I'm for Abel. I like Abel, and I don't like you. I like Abel, but I don't like you, you know. No, you know, he already knew. It was something going on in his heart that wasn't right before man, root of bitterness, but also towards God. And he is saying this, this hardness of heart, it's, it, you're gonna go one to the right or to the left. You're gonna be making a decision. You're at a crossroads right now. And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. That's a complete lie. (laughs) He was laying right where he killed him. And then he, you see the pride and the arrogance of his heart. Am I my brother's keeper? And he, God said, what have you done? Now, again, people say, oh, I guess God doesn't know everything. God knows everything. He's not asking the question because there's a piece of information he needs to find. He's giving Cain the opportunity. If we confess our sins, Right? The Lord, interesting, said that to Judas. Are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? There is that opportunity for Cain, for Judas to say, yes, Lord, I am. Making it very simple for them. But the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. So we, we go back and, and we ask the question, why was Cain's sacrifice or his offering not received? And we look at it from the physical, earthly point of view, and we say, well, he was offering grain. Now, as we go on in Leviticus, we'll discover there are grain offerings. But those grain offerings are for fellowship with God, not for the covering of sin. As we looked at last week in that Hebrews 9.22, according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. So yes, I think you could say Cain is saying, I don't want to give a sacrifice. It had to do with his brother. It had to do with a bitterness or an anger or some kind of tension with his brother. So maybe it was he had to buy a lamb from his brother and he resented that because his, what he tended and took care of, he just couldn't bring to God because it didn't have blood in it. It was plants. That could very well be a part of it. 
But I'll tell you what, the New Testament tells us a lot about Abel and Cain that is definitely not in the book of Genesis, but it's very important information. For example, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, we discover that Cain, or excuse me, Abel, is the first person in the hall of faith. You know, Hebrews 11, by faith, all these people did this. And Abel was this man who just didn't have faith to give an offering. He was a man, a deep, spiritual, powerful man. We're going to find out in a minute. He's a prophet of God. And he's the number one in the hall of faith. So by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, which he obtained a witness that he was righteous. God testifies to his gifts, and though he be dead, he still speaks. So Abel's faith was great in God's eyes. And his heart of faith is to be in the hall of faith as an example to all of us and how God testifies that he was righteous. And God wants to talk about the gift. Uh, and so it was such in faith that Abel gave. So what we discover here is that God wasn't limited like we are to say, what do we see from the earth's perspective? As it tells us in 1 Samuel 16, 7, um, we are limited. We can only look on the outward man, but God looks upon the heart, right? And he saw and enabled this great heart of faith. And in Cain, we can assume there was no faith. Again, we know the verse very well in Hebrews eleven six. right? Without faith, it is what? Impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So, man, you gotta believe that he is. You gotta come to God in faith and have that faith that he is. And then as you're praying, um, you're, you're believing God for great things and, and every prayer, just like Abel's sacrifice and uh, his offerings and, and his whole heart, the whole preparing of it, the burning, the giving, the fat, every bit of it was in faith and worship to God. In the same way we come to God and then we seek God and we diligently pursue God and every bit of it is this beautiful sacrifice, this beautiful offering unto God, not with bulls or goats, but through the access that Jesus gives us into that throne room. And we learn about Cain some very shocking things. Cain sacrifice being disapproved was very minor to compare to what else was in this guy's life. The book of Jude, that little one page, in verse 10 and 11, it says, But these speak evil of what they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beast. In these things, they corrupt themselves. And then he says, woe to them. And now he's going to give three examples of these men who speak evil, these men who are brute beasts, and these men of, who have corrupted themselves. And he's going to go back in history and say, the present guys are like guys in the Bible history. They're just like them. And the first one he tells us about, for they have gone in the way of Cain. 
Secondly, they've run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit. And third, they perished in the rebellion of Korah. So as you read this portion of Jude, it's talking about false worship and false religious leaders leading people into damnable doctrines in the name of Christ. This is Christianity, and it's not Christianity. It's from the very pit of hell. And so Cain did not want to have to give a blood sacrifice. He wanted God to just take his grain offering, and that is sufficient. He wanted to please himself and God be pleased in the way he worshiped God. He, he was choosing the way, and God needed to accept it. And of course, the blood sacrifice is Christ, right? I remember being back in college, and, and I, I was delivering prescriptions to doors, and this little old lady answered the door, and I just said, hey, Jesus loves you, you know, and, and uh, I'm working at the pharmacy, you know, here's your thing, and, and uh, you, you know, and I just said, can I share the gospel? And I, and I remember sharing, and I was just saying, yeah, we're sinners, but Christ died for us. He, on the cross, he died on the cross for our sins. And the lady stopped me, and she goes, that's the horriblest thing I've ever heard, and you're so negative for such being such a young man. And, uh, and she just did not want to hear that somebody had to die and bleed and be tortured on that cross. Um, but either way, the, the, the point is, is Cain didn't want a religion with bloodiness and death and ugliness and messiness and smelliness. He, he just wanted it to be a real clean thing. I picked some vegetables or fruits and God accepts it in this story. It's this nice little religion that he has and I just need God to buy in and accept it. And of course with Balaam, he didn't want the Jews to be a part of the religion. He wanted God to change his mind about the Jews and to kill them and of course he would make money on it. That, that's sort of a nice side benefit. And God told him repeatedly, these are my people. I am not going to allow you to curse them. And Balaam asked and asked again if he can curse. And there are people that, that want a God who, who does not have anything to do with the Jews. Matter of fact, most denominations are anti-Semitic. Some of the biggest ones, Christian ones. But also it would have caused God to deny his faithfulness. Can you have a, a, a savior who's not faithful in all things as God is to Israel, as God is to the church? And then thirdly, Korah, who wanted his own authority. I don't want Moses and Aaron. I want to, have our, I want to pick our own authority. And we've all voted, the whole congregation, and we voted uh, us into leadership, and we're all going back to Egypt Moses and Aaron get out of the way. So God ended up opening up the earth and swallowing him up along with Dathan and, and others, Abraham. I want to read a quote here from gotquestions.com on this very point. 
It says, they have taken the way of Cain, a description that refers to lawless men. They may mean they, like Cain, disobediently devised their own ways of worship. They did not come to God by faith. Cain's offering, while acceptable in his own eyes, was not acceptable to the Lord. In some way, Cain had perverted God's prescribed form of worship, and his heart was not right. He grew jealous of Abel. He selfishly nursed his wounded pride. Rather than repent at God's rebuke, Cain became angry, and later in the field he killed Abel and brought judgment upon him. And so Cain was a evil guy. And a matter of fact, in 1 John 3, 10 through 15, he, he says, Christians, every single Christian should be completely the opposite of Cain. In 1 John 3, verse 10 through 15, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest or are obvious. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you like Cain hated righteous Abel. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren, unlike Cain loving his brethren. Am I my brother's keeper? He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, like Cain. And you know that no murderer has the eternal life abiding in him. Wow, John just settles in and he's looking at the squabbles going on in the church and the, and the believers having a hard time uh, being in unity. And he's like, hey, this, this is the stamp that when Christ comes into our life, we love instead of hating. We, we want to bless our brother and never curse our brother. And those who want to curse a brother, that's Satan. Satan wants to curse us. Evil men who follow Satan want to curse us. We shouldn't be surprised when evil men following the spirit of Satan, don't, don't, get, dis, don't get disheartened at that. That's a good sign that the right people hate you. It's a good sign when Satan's attacking you. It's because you're in the battle, Right? But he said, you can't be the attacker of the believer. If you're the attacker of the believer, then that's saying you're of Cain, not of Abel. In Luke chapter 11, talking about Abel, notice what he says there. Therefore, the wisdom of God also said, in, in, in Luke eleven forty nine 49 to 51, it's also in Matthew 23, 35, but we're going to look in Luke 11. Therefore, wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets, and apostles, some of them they will kill and persecute, that the blood of the prophets, which was shed from the foundation of the world, may be required of this generation. From the blood of, and evidently he's speaking of Abel here as a prophet, 
So of the blood of the prophet Abel to the blood of the prophet Zechariah, a very well-known figure, who perished between the altar and the temple, yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. So really, Cain's attitude towards Abel is really a picture of all the human race saying, crucify him, crucify him. Remember what they also they said at the cross? Do you want me to crucify this guy or do you want me to let him go and, and let Barabbas be the one? Which one? Let Barabbas go. <laughs> but Jesus, crucify him, crucify him. And then what did they say? Let his blood be upon us and our children. Wow. Remember the, God said to Cain, the blood of righteous prophet Abel is crying out from the ground for justice, for revenge. And Jesus says, everybody throughout history, the blood has been crying out. Everyone that was righteous and stood for righteousness and was killed. All the prophets like Zechariah who was killed right in the temple itself. And all through human history, those who were persecuted and, and in some cases put to death. It all, all of them, whether they knew it or not, were speaking of me and my nature. And that which got those righteous prophets killed was re revelation of me, the Messiah. So now this generation who's out and out, not rejecting a prophet of the Messiah, but rejecting the prophet, the Messiah himself, has the greatest sin in this in Hebrews 12, 24, to Jesus, the meteor of a new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things, interesting, than that of Abel. Interesting. I, I, you know, I've read the Bible a lot and I would have not come up with that verse. That Jesus Christ and what he has done is greater than Moses. I could get that. <laughs> greater than, there's a lot of great people, but I wouldn't have said Abel. But by revelation of the Holy Spirit, he in essence says one of the greatest prophets, the greatest men of righteousness, one of the greatest testimonies in heaven is Abel. And he was standing for God and his wicked brother killed him. But Abel was slain by a wicked man and, and, and his blood was crying out for vengeance or for justice. But Jesus' blood is crying out for forgiveness, for remission. So the blood of Christ speaks of greater things. I would make a note that although the Lord here, and we're going to read now, doesn't give Cain the death penalty, he does say that is what's supposed to be happening. But this is the first murder, and uh, you know, for what God, God's reasons, um, doesn't give him the penalty that, that, that man is supposed to get later. In Genesis 9.5, he, he says plainly after the flood, Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. For the hand of every beast I will require. So if a, a bull turns and tromps somebody and they die, the bull dies. Or from the hand of man. If the man strikes and kills his brother, the, man, the hand of a, every man's brother, I will require the life of the man, a death penalty. Exodus 21, 12, he who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. So civilly in a society, if you don't have a punishment that fits the crime, you'll have more of that crime. 
And uh, the Lord says, man, the life of man is precious. It's from God alone. And for somebody else to take it, it's a death penalty. Well, we go on down here. So God says to him, interesting statement in verse 7. Sin lies at the door. Its desire is for you, and you shall rule over it. Does that sound familiar? Because look back in chapter 3, verse 16. God says to Eve, remember, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, a lot of people think that's poetic, like, oh, Eve's desire is going to be for her husband. It sounds all precious. But, you know, he needs to be the one ruling over her. Well, hold on, that wasn't so precious. <laughs> what, what does that mean? Well, we really don't know what that means until we get to the next chapter. And the exact same Hebrew sentence is repeated. But this time, it's not about Eve towards Adam. It's about sin towards all of us. In this case, it's towards Cain. Sin has a desire to take you down, to muddy your life, to complicate your life, to make your life difficult, to hurt your relationship with God and with others. Wow. Satan, all he has to do is jerk us a little bit. Just drag us down a little bit doesn't take a lot you know you play football sometimes when a guy's just running and you're trying to tackle him a lot of times you barely just gotta bump him a little bit and boom when he's fully going he will go right down you'd be surprised it doesn't take a big giant tackle at times when a guy's already leaning in a certain direction satan satan is waiting to just bump us and to make our life horrible hard difficult but we need to know that. We, we, we're walking through a landmine every day. We're soldiers in, an, in a battle every day. And, and we know that, man, it's real. Sin is real. It's a real thing, and it's trying to destroy our life. And he says right now, Cain, it's in your heart. I know God knows his heart. But that's not a sin, you know? Spurgeon said we can't keep a bird from pooping on our head, but we can keep the bird from making a nest in our hair. There's a difference. This is a big giant bird poop on you. And that's all it needs to be. But if you stand still and let that anger and bitterness towards your brother now towards God, it always ends up going toward God. A lot of times it goes God and then people, but sometimes people then God. But if you just keep doing that, it's going to bring destruction on you, man. It, you, it, you're okay right now. You don't have to cross over. But Cain talked to his brother, you know. I, I wonder if Abel, this righteous guy, was just saying, yeah, Cain, you know, please, you don't need to buy the sheep. I give it to you. Here, I'll help you sacrifice it. I'll help prepare it. I'll help kill it. I'll, let me be with you. And how can I, you know, yeah, you know, and he's expressing this heart and, and Cain is just getting madder. And matter, and the more he's speaking the gospel and speaking of worship and 
speaking of the correct way that God wants to be worshipped in our heart and the way it needs to be. And he's just getting angrier and angrier until he explodes and kills Abel, who is a prophet of God, a righteous man of God, who is trying to help, help him probably, but he killed him. And so he comes to Cain. Where's your brother? I don't know. That's a lie. Am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes. It's always yes. Yes, we are a brother's keeper. Yes. And he said, well, what uh, have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And then he now curses him. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. In Proverbs thirteen fifteen, it says the way of the transgressor is what? Hard. So it sounds like Cain really loved farming. And man, the thing I, number one thing I love the most, I can no longer do. And I'm not going to be able to be with my family. He, I, from what I can understand, he never saw Adam and Eve again. He had to go away from everybody. He was sort of an isolated vagabond. And so Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Well, yes, it is. That's the way it is. Life is harder than we expected it to be, especially when we sin. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground, and I shall be hidden from your face, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will be happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Now, now people often get stumbled at, what is the mark, you know? And people come up with the most crazy, outrageous things. But, you know, the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible, right? Right? Well, in Ezekiel chapter 9, God says to Ezekiel, those people who are weeping and groaning over the sin of Israel... I want you to go and put a mark on their forehead. I sort of pictured it was like getting ash from a fire and putting some ash on their foreheads. And he says in Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4 through 6, that those people that don't have the mark, I want you to kill everyone who's not grieved over sin. But those who have the mark, he says again in verse 6, you're going to leave them alone. And then we go to Revelation chapter 7. Do you remember the 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe of Israel who become these mighty evangelists and prophets throughout the earth? God says twice, actually three times there, in, in Revelation 7, verse 3 and 4, that they're to be, have a mark, or here he uses the word seal, on their foreheads, just like in Ezekiel chapter 9, that there's to be a mark on their foreheads, just like in Ezekiel 9. And he says, number everyone who has that mark on them. And they number them. It's 144,000, 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel had that mark. So it was something similar to that. We don't know. But people who knew that Cain was 
going through a hard time the rest of his life. He's struggling. He can't put down roots. He can't grow anything. Probably every business he tried to get started crumbled and didn't work very well. So he's just living a very difficult life. And sometimes people want to take advantage of people who are already weak. And that was what his, he was concerned about. And God said, I, w- I won't allow it to happen. And if they do it, they're going to get seven times what I gave you. And, uh, and so people stayed away. And what we'll find out at the end of this chapter next week that a guy named uh, Lemek, one of the great descendants of his, uh, knows that very well about the sevenfold curse from God if anybody does anything more. Well, we will stop there in verse 15. And uh, we will pick up next week in 16 and get through chapter 5 as well. Not next week, January. Um, Because next week we have the Christmas carols and cookies. And then we have a couple of Wednesday nights off because of Christmas and New Year's. And so we'll be back the first Wednesday in January.